pray, Father. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Provide for us, Lord, to be able to be in church, Lord. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would help us in our service, Lord, this morning. Open our hearts and our minds as we hear your word preach. Help us to receive your word, Lord. Learn something from your word always. Uh, we're thankful, Lord, for the preaching that is done here. Continue to pray for our pastor, Lord, as he leads the shepherd, Lord, and I mean the sheep, Lord, that you would continue to be with him and the needs that he has, that you would cry for him. We pray for Lord, and I pray for uh, uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, Lord, and what's going on now down there. All a lot of things, Lord, we don't understand why they happen, but we know that, like uh, the Bible says, Lord, that everything is done. For a purpose, for those who love you, those who are called, Lord, we sometimes we don't have to know why, but we just ask that you would help uh, the government, Lord, they would uh, be able to be successful, Lord, in the campaign that's going on down there, Lord. We pray, God, that you would uh, be with uh, people that have uh, already had lost loved ones, Lord, uh, from these results, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would give them comfort help the lord to know where to turn to for comfort we pray god that you would just uh, be with them lord bless our service again lord i ask lord in Jesus' name i pray amen, amen. you may be seated let's sing 263 shelter in the time of storm 
398. Let's all stand by again, okay? 398. One more time. Stand up. I don't want to go to sleep when the pastor comes to preach. 398. Sing the first and the last stanzas. Follow on. appreciate it <laughs> but when you sing by yourself in the car only God hears so God says oh, I'll accept that not too bad well pray for Israel as it's been said several times today and uh, I know that the critics are always there on different networks blaming Israel for being aggressive blaming Israel for being the bad people blaming Israel for uh, retaliation I just know one thing if someone attacked you in your home what would you do what would you do would you passively say, oh, well, you know, they have a right to take my property. They have a right to take my this, take my that. They have a right. No, they don't. And you know that the land of Israel is God's land given to Israel. Way back in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15, it's been repeated throughout the Old Testament that God would give them a land, and they are in the land. And uh, they were there first. They were there first. They were there way before anybody else got there. And so... I don't listen to the news a whole lot. I just know what's happening. And there's so many clips on YouTube about uh, how right Israel is to defend themselves. And there's some, more than, more than some, that say Israel's so bad and so evil for retaliating and oh, cutting off the water supply, cutting off power. Oh, that's so mean. What has Hamas done? Have they done anything mean to? It's not eye for an eye kind of thing, but it, this is about defending yourselves, defending your family, protecting yourselves from further 
further death. Uh, if we didn't drop the bomb on Japan, they were planning to drop the bomb on us. What are you going to do? There's death going to happen because it is war. Uh, it's not a movie, ladies and gentlemen. This is a war in real life, and real people die, real people go into eternity. It's unfortunate, but if you don't stand, you're going to get run over, and that's the way it goes. So whether whatever you, whatever you think about Israel, they're not perfect people. Not every American is good. You know that? But yet we respect the red, white, and blue. God has blessed our country, but the people are not perfect. But the group, the entity, the, the overall, the nation of Israel, they are God's people, still are. And God chastises them and has for many hundreds of years because of their rejection of Christ, but one day he will work with them again. Tribulation, when it happens, he's gonna strive to Israel again, and they will bow their knee at this time, and they will welcome their Messiah at the second coming. Until that happens, there will be all kinds of things going on. So this is a surprise. Israel was surprised. I was surprised that Israel was surprised. With all their security, I was surprised that they were surprised. I was surprised that they attacked, Hamas attacked in such a way. Coming down at the, the festival and all these kind of things and underground, all these things like, I would think, how could Israel not know these things are going on? Well, that's not for me to guess because I don't know. I just know that I'm surprised that they were surprised. God is not surprised though, okay? And um, God will take care of his enemies. We saw in Exodus chapter 15, the Lord's a man of war. I know one thing, I'm not gonna fight against God. Yeah. I'm not gonna fight against God, because he's gonna win. Yeah. God's people are on the quote winning side, although sometimes like in a baseball game, you lose, you don't do very well, but the, the game's not over yet. And it's not a game, but you understand what I'm trying to say. And so God will protect his people, and he always will. And Genesis 12, 13 says that I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. Therefore, individually and as a nation, America had better back up Israel because of what that verse says. And those who attack Israel, try to destroy Israel, they're going to get it. Not because of vengeance, but because God is God. His people are his people. And I take comfort to know that God is well able to do what no other country can do. And all the billions of dollars we may send to uh, Israel may be helpful, but I know one thing, they've got God who's gonna help them. So, and Israel got a strong fighting force. They're really good. They're not the wimpy, uh, snowflake people. They're, they're tough fighters. Netanyahu, his brother died in Entebbe. So they know about fighting and know about dying. And they're well prepared and ready to defend their people. Good for them. Good for them. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Okay? Let's go to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Uh, we got some folk away, traveling still to Kroslavskis, and uh, the communist is still gone somewhere, enjoying her hammock in the islands. Does she have a hammock? Your wife? Probably not? Okay. But she got her teeth worked on, so that's great, right? At half price, all right. Exodus chapter 16. Now, chapter 15 is a chapter about singing and praising God for his great deliverance. It was, it was monumental. The, the plagues and then the Exodus, that was such a life changer, historically, a great time for Israel, for the emancipation. Chapter 16 of Exodus. 
All right, keep in mind, chapter 15 was a song about praise and thanksgiving to God. Chapter 16 changes. Chapter 16 turns. And now the people of God, Israel, the ones who are delivered, they feel differently. Chapter 16, verse number 1. And they took their journey from Elam. And that's where Elam, they had 12 wells of water and three score and ten, 70 palm trees. That's verse 27 of the previous chapter. Chapter 16, verse 1. They took their journey from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of sin. Interesting name, yeah, wilderness of sin. Now, it's not called that because they were sinning there. It's just called wilderness of sin because it's called the wilderness of sin. Sometimes it's called the wilderness of sin, Z-I-N. So, it's not because of sin. However, in this wilderness, they would do some sinnings. Kind of unusual. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after the departing out of the land of Egypt. Now, this is just one month from the time they left Egypt. So to the day almost, destination Sinai to meet with God to receive his law. They're on a journey, they're on a destination. They are going to a place that God will lead them so that he would formally give them a law to go by. And so in between Elam and Sinai is the wilderness of sin. Now, uh, in verse number two, the whole congregation, how many would that be? The whole congregation. The whole body of people. How many left Egypt? 600 men. Plus wives. Probably some single men there too, some bachelors. But let's say 600 men, plus uh, 600,000 men, plus their wives, plus 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 children. So the, the population kind of just balloons into, most people say, about 2 million people. Conservatively, that is a lot of people. Andre Rio, who is, I uh, believe, Danish, he performs uh, with a group that he created called the, An, uh, the Johann Sebastian Bach uh, Ensemble. There's about 25, 30 people that he employs. They are great musicians. And when they, whenever they perform, wherever they go, it's at an outdoor setting, big open field. Let's just use Diamond Head Crater as an example. They will fill that whole crater up if they were in Hawaii with overflow SROs, standing only. And he would play three or four hour concerts, begin in the late afternoon, go into the evening. And it's just a big production, gigantic, gigantic screens, gigantic screens so that way in the back they can see the performance up front. But uh, he conducts with his violin and he's got this long hair and all. You know how musicians go? They flip their hair like that. It's kind of dramatic, add to the drama, add to the, the show, you know, like that. He's very good at what he does. Now, Imagine performing before 100,000 people. Here, imagine 2 million people. Two million pe Imagine 2 million people all complaining. I can't imagine that. Can you imagine 200 million, two, 2 million people complaining? I can imagine 50,000 people complaining. I can imagine a few people complaining about um, uh, the, the inner island, what do you call that, the, the super ferry in the water complaining, got all this attention. I can imagine people protesting about Hawaiian sovereignty. I can imagine people protesting about different kind of things, but two million people? Can you imagine two million people complaining against one man and his brother? That'd be like, it's, it's like, it'll take your breath away. It'll take your, your spirit away. It'll, it'll cause you to feel like, I give up. Verse two, and the whole congregation, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured, murmured, against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Well, that's kind of odd. 
a chapter before, they're praising God. Moses leads in, uh, in singing, and they all do that. And his sister jumps in, and she leads women in singing. They're all happy because of God's deliverance. They're on a high. But have you noticed that sometimes when you're on a high, the next thing is a low? Have you noticed life is like a seesaw? Oh, God is so, he answered this prayer. Oh, whoa, God did this. And you're so, you're, you're so happy. And then the next moment, you drop down like that. You lose your footing. It's like all of a sudden, what happened here? And in verse 2, the whole congregation, emphasis on the whole congregation, then murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Verse 3, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. Now, they're complaining to Moses and to Aaron. They're remembering, they're remembering what it was like in Egypt. The first point in this chapter is the murmuring multitude. The murmuring multitude. They complain and whine and, and gripe. They're complaining. They're thinking about verse 3, food. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots. And when we did eat bread to the full, they were saying, we remember we had good food. We remember we had all the food we could eat. We ate until we couldn't eat anymore. That's what they were saying. Now, I think they embellished that statement. I think they embellished how good it was in Egypt. They did eat fruit in Egypt. They did have certain spices in Egypt. They did have the garlic and the leeks and the onions. They had flavor. And so they liked that. Don't you like flavorable, flavorable food? <laughs> Don't you like that? I do. Oh, man, I kind of watch my salt, but sometimes you need salt. You know that? You need the good kind of salt. Sea salt or Himalayan salt or... or uh, uh, Wamanalo salt or some kind of salt. Kanye based salt. <laughs> you need some kind of salt in your food for flavoring. And it's good. And then you need some garlic sometime. This morning I made, because the boys were very helpful, the older boys, I made them uh, some flaky biscuits. Just flaky biscuits. And I cooked scrambled eggs flat like McDonald's with cheese, spite, uh, uh, sharp cheddar cheese, and uh, sausage. Put in the thing. That thing was about that thick. It was so good. Made them two of these. They couldn't eat two of them. It was, it was so full, so good. It was so good. You know what these folks wanted? Same thing. Wanted <laughs> <laughs> same thing. They were longing for that, and they're complaining to Moses and Aaron. Their 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 little hungry bellies changed the whole outlook on Moses and Aaron. Not having what they were used to made them want to go back to what they used to have. Forgetting that they were slaves, forgetting that they were in bondage, all they thought about was their hungry bellies, the pain, and they wanted the food again that they had. Short memory these murmuring multitudes had, the food. They thought the food of Egypt was great, they craved it, and then they said this, ah oh, man, we should have just died in Egypt instead, instead of dying out here hungry. If we're going to die, let's die full. Let's not die hungry in the wilderness. This is not a right way to die. Let's go back there and die there. Not good thinking, you reckon? Not thinking straight. Their thinking has been kind of twisted. They weren't thinking right. Their bellies affected their brain. Their bellies affected their brain. They weren't thinking right. They made a wrong thought, had a wrong thought, made a bad thinking, and they just wanted to go back there. They thought life in Egypt was good. You know what they really were? They were dummies. They were dummies. They were slaves back then, but they forgot all about that, just all about the food. Verse number three, they imagined evil intentions against Moses. Verse 3, the children of Israel said unto them, 
which to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat with the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye, Moses and Aaron, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill, a, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, is that what Moses' intention was? Take them to the desert and let them starve to death? Is that his? No. But that's what they thought. That's what they accused him of. Funny how people are. Funny how the Hebrews are. Whenever something was inconvenient or a little bit of not perfect, they imagine these things. Imagine the worst of Aaron and Moses. They imagine the worst. They said their intention, their motive was to take them out there and kill them. That was totally untruthful. You know, Trump used to say that's a that's a that's fake news. That's fake. That's fake right here. But they thought that they may have been real sincere about that. You brought us out here to die. You're bad. No, they weren't bad at all. It's the people. They were the ones who were making this up. They're the ones who wanted their heads. Their hunger pains, a little bit thirsty. They're so quick to think the worst. Let me stop there for just a minute. Does that remind you of anybody? When these Hebrews thought the worst of Moses and Aaron, when they were a little bit hungry, a little bit thirsty, they complained about water before. They said, okay, we're done with you. We're done with you. The Dodgers, anybody know who the Dodgers are? <laughs> the Dodgers this season won 100 games plus. Again, you don't win 100 games if you're not a good team and you're not a good manager. But then they got into the playoffs. You know what they did, ladies and gentlemen? They lost three straight games to the lowly Arizona Diamondbacks, who won 16 less games in the regular season. Only 86 games. Dodgers won over 100 games. Okay, everybody's saying, all right, Dodgers, this is their year. Roberts, the manager, feels pretty good about that. Playoffs come around. Diamondbacks lost three straight. They got crushed. Arizona's going to go to the league championship. Where's Dodgers right now? They're so sad in, in L.A. town. I'm surprised they haven't burned it down. So looking forward to getting into the World Series. It's not going to happen this year. You know, they're all crying. Sports writers, beat writers, a lot of fans. Uh, Robert's got to go. The last two years, Robert's got to go. Robert, the manager's got to go. So quick to pick on the manager, Moses, and his co-manager, Aaron, because they don't have what they want. Now, isn't that just like human nature? No, let's stop and think about it. That's either a sign to stop talking about that or keep on going. One or the other. Got to be one or the other. But uh, let's just stop and think about what this really means. Because it means something. Just like the Hebrews complained against Moses and Aaron because they didn't have what they wanted or what they thought they needed right now. As if Moses and Aaron didn't know that they needed food and water. As if they didn't know. As if they didn't know. They knew. But it hadn't come yet. As if they didn't trust in God. Moses and Aaron did. The people, they were the ones who were lacking a little bit of faith. God had just done great miracles for them. The ten plagues. Red Sea crossing. And they so quickly, after just a month, forgot about that. Actually, in three days, they forgot about that. Then in a month's time after that, they're griping again. What fickle people they were. Fickle is the word I want to use. Fickle. Fickle. I, I just don't want Christians to feel like that. Whenever something doesn't go right, you say, okay, God, you're not really there. You don't really care for me. 
you don't pay attention to me, you don't love me, I'll tell you you can provide me. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna to turn to some other religion now because you don't really take care of me. People think that very foolishly. Individual Christians think that very foolishly because things are not always like they want. They didn't get what they want. They were thirsty, reasonable. They were hungry, reasonable. You know one thing good about my grandkids? They don't complain out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, I worked them to death, helping with a friend's uh, storage clean out, and they're now in Georgia or North Carolina, somewhere. We've, I've been putting it on because I said, why do I have to do this? Well, things happened before not before um, COVID, and you know, the daughter had to go back to the mainland. She was going to come back to school, so she put stuff in the storage and everything. I understand that. And then they just drug out, COVID drug things out, and then past that now, and she still has not come back. She says, okay, the mom's, okay, uh, okay, can you send it back to us? Can you, can I said, no, we're not gonna do it. She said, but honey, every time my wife says, but honey, it kind of bothers me. She says, but honey, like, you have to do this. I said, and I'm thinking, well, why didn't they think this through? That's not my thing. She says, well, they didn't, and she reasons with me, and I say, okay, 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 I know it wasn't their fault, okay, I'm getting too hyper here. You ever get hyper? I get too hyper over here. So we go do that thing finally. Today's the day. We do it. And the boys was helpful, but they were so hungry. You know how I have to treat these boys when they work like that? I knew they were starving, so I said, I'm going to take it down to Chick-fil-A in Baratania. So off we go to Chick-fil-A, we ate them the sandwiches and fried and everything. We were happy about that. And then later on, we're done working. They're hungry again. I said, on the way, we're talking about food. Guys talk about food. I said, and I was talking to my wife, I said, uh, you know, a flaky croissant, a flaky biscuit is so good. She said, oh, it's so good. I said, we got that home. No, I said, I'm gonna get some. So I went to get some at Safeway. I look around, it's expensive. It's expensive. So I got two, so that we get two a piece. I told the boys, I'm gonna get that, make it for you tomorrow. I'm gonna get some cheese, I'm gonna scramble eggs, I'm gonna get some sausage, and they have the biggest flaky biscuit you ever had. They couldn't wait to go to sleep. <laughs> They couldn't wait to get up the next morning. They came up early. Grandpa, is it ready? I said, no, I said, eight o'clock. It's only 7.30, go back to sleep. <laughs> so they come up, quarter two, not yet. Okay, I call them, they come up, eat. I mean, they can only eat one, so good. Think about food. It's reasonable to get hungry if you haven't eaten for a while. Yeah, I understand that, but it was not reasonable for them to complain and fuss at Moses and Aaron to accuse them of taking them out to the desert to kill them. That's not reasonable. But our grandkids, they don't complain. They go hungry, but they don't complain. And so when it's time to eat, they eat up. What do they eat up? You should see their grocery bill. I'm not talking about that. They don't want to hear this stuff. I don't want to talk about grocery dumping. But you should see how much they eat. But they don't complain. You know why? Because they, listen, because they know that their parents will always have a meal for them. Their parents know they'll always have something to eat at the right time. The time might be a few minutes late, then the time for lunch or for dinner, for breakfast, they'll always have something to eat. They have confidence to know that their parents will always give them something to eat, so they never fuss. But they come up through hints, but they never fuss like that. Can you learn a lesson from the Hebrew people? Whenever something doesn't happen like you think, don't fuss, don't complain, don't whine, don't murmur. They were known for their murmuring, and they murmured a lot from the very beginning. So this is a murmuring multitude. Sometimes when the, the, the honeymoon is over, you know what you have when the honeymoon is over in a marriage relationship? When the honeymoon is over, 
murmuring happens. Murmuring happens. I was talking to a lady. She uh, is a dependent. Her husband's in uh, in the army. They've been married six months. Everything's so good. And then I get a call to give her a ride. And I didn't know anything about the situation, but then she begins to just talk about her problem, what's wrong with her husband. Whenever a woman tells me what's wrong with her husband, I'm listening. I want to, I want to pick up if it's actually accurate. And so I'm listening to her and I say, have you talked to your husband about your fusses? Yeah, but he doesn't care. What do you mean he doesn't care? Well, yeah, he, don't, he, he just deals with it his way. What does he do when he deals with his argument? She says, I'm going to go out and drink with my friends. That's how he deals with it. I said, is that right? And how do you deal with your problems with your husband? I go and talk to my best friend. It's a guy. So a girl talks to a guy. That's her best friend. And she unloads. I said, how long have you been going from home today? She says, since this morning, since you went to work. So he's at work while she's talking to this guy all day long. I'm thinking, first of all, does this guy not work? What does this guy do? So it's in white power. So this guy, and I give her a ride to go home and everything. She's unloading. I said, you know what your problem is? <laughs> I did say, you know what your problem is? I said, you're both stupid. You're both immature. You're both really, really carnal. She said, what do you mean? I said, look at how you guys are talking about each other. Look at how you guys are dealing with the problem. He goes out drinking with his friends. You go talk to your best guy friend about your problems and making him support you when he doesn't even know the whole story. I said, that's really stupid. Now you say, well, Pastor, what kind of counsel is that? It's good counsel. <laughs> it's good advice. You're really dumb. What should I do? I said, well, first of all, you have to be saved. And secondly, you have to obey what the Bible says. What do you mean by that? I told her what I meant by that. And uh, I even gave her my number. I said, look, if you need help, call me. I'm glad to help you. I'll be glad to talk to both of you. But I won't talk to just one of you. I'll talk to both of you. She said, okay, okay. Well, I'm saying this. People, when they get mad like that, and they get out of sorts, they, they want to dump the marriage. She says, I'm thinking about divorce. I hollered me married six months. I said, that's, that's pretty stupid for you to think like that. You know, in America, people get divorced for the smallest of reasons. You know, in America, among the, the celebrities, they get divorced, uh, they get married on a whim, impulsively, and they get divorced the next day. Maybe they last about a week. Go to Vegas, get it done officially, legally, but it's done as far as any, any real commitment like that. People give up on each other so fast. The people of God, the Hebrews, they complain against Moses and against God so quickly. Memory is so short. And uh, when the honeymoon's over, as they say, they want to fire each other. Like the Dodgers want to fire their manager or the players want to fire their manager. So this is a murmuring multitude. Don't be like that. Do not be like them. When you have problems, deal with it. Pray about it. Ask God to help you. Go back and trust God and not try to do things all on your own because you're going to fail. You're going to get more frustrated. Only God could have helped them. But when they look to only a man to help them, men would fail them. You have to look to God to help. So that's the murmuring multitude. Don't be like that. Don't be a murmuring church. Now, don't complain about the government all the time. Don't complain about other things all the time. Don't be, yeah, but all the time. Yeah, but, yeah, but. You know buts all the time? Billy goats but all the time. Sheep follow. Now, that's not to say, I'll explain. That's not to say you don't deal with reality of life. It's not to say you don't open your eyes and see what's going on. It's not all about that. It's about looking at something and saying, God, this situation is so messed up, only you can fix it. Lord, please do something. That's the way to do with that. And if I can be a part of the solution, let me know if I can help you in this situation. That's a part of how you deal with things. You don't just fuss about it and think, well, I already told them my peace of mind. I already showed them what I think is right. Sometimes it's just you trying to be superior in your attitude. 
Sometimes you just you trying to be smart than anybody else. That's all. You haven't contributed anything to any solution. So you have to say about a real bad problem. What does the Bible say? What should I do as a Christian? What is something I can obey in to get this thing right? What is my role in all of this? Those are some basic things to think about when you face a real problem. So it's not about ignoring them. It's about dealing with it in the right way, okay? Deal with things in the right way. Don't ignore it. Deal with it in the right way. Murmuring. Their murmuring is not about solutions. It's about just griping. We're good at that. Amen. I know you must want to say amen to that. <laughs> Number two, there's a merciful God. Murmuring multitude, a merciful God. Look at verses four through eight. A merciful God, verses four through eight, chapter 16. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. You might say next to that, Wow, rain bread from heaven. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So he gives instructions in this chapter about when to gather it, how much to gather it. Don't leave, don't grab the, don't grab too much, don't pour it because the next one get stinking worms and all that. And on the on the Sabbath you gotta grab enough, get gather enough for the two days and all. And so so he gives instructions for that in this chapter. But the first thing you notice is that God is merciful, even though they were murmuring against God. God says, I will rain down from heaven bread. That's, that's being nice. That's being gracious. That's being merciful. Have you ever been nice to someone who doesn't deserve it? I'll bet you didn't feel like it, though. <laughs> if you're quite human, and you're not a robot, you're not artificial intelligence, if you have feelings, I'll bet you you've had a hard time doing something nice with someone you don't like or towards someone who has hurt you. I'll bet you that's the truth. Am I telling you the truth? Or am I just talking to chairs? No, I think I'm talking to real people. Uh, a merciful God. He says in verse number four, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Rain, can you, rain, rain from heaven, bread. That means, well, wait a minute, rain. Rain means when it rains, it covers a lot of territory when it rains. Now over here, it rains in pockets on Oahu. And on the other, it rains here, but it's not raining on this side. It's raining in Manoa, but not raining in the leeward side. So, you know, I understand that. But it rains in Manoa, all of Manoa is affected by the rain, right? It rains in Kaneohe, big drop. We're all affected by that. Whenever it rains, everything is affected below the rain. So it says, it's going to rain from heaven bread. So everyone under the rain is going to be affected by this bread. They're all going to get fed, in other words. Rain from heaven. That's a pretty good word. He, the word, the way he explains this thing. Everyone's going to get bread. Rain, bread from heaven. Look at verse number eight. Even though the people are so bad, so undeserved. Verse eight, verse 13, and verse uh, says this. And, and Moses said, this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. Verse number 13, at even the quails came up and covered the camp. Well, verse number 8 again, the Lord heareth your murmurings, which you murmured against him. So instead of God chastising them very harshly, he says, I'm going to give you bread. I'm going to rain it down, and in the evening I'll give you some quails of flabby, just grab, grab like that. Can you imagine that? Quails coming by at this level. 
Why well, it's even harder picking papaya like that. Papaya, you gotta reach up and you know, but the quail just fly like that, you just go up like that, you can go like this. I mean, it came so easy to them. That's God being gracious to the people who don't deserve it. Bread from heaven. Wow, look at that. Okay, quail. So easy. Did God have to do that? But did he? Yes. That is the merciful God giving them some blessings. And so, instead of chastisement, water, bread, meat. Unworthy is a song you heard last week. They were so unworthy. But then God is so merciful. So merciful. You can talk about that for a little while now. He's so merciful. Um, but he is. Now, the people of God, so complaining, but God is so merciful. Instead of them thinking about how much they didn't have, they should have thought about how good God is to them, even though for the moment it wasn't so good. Let me read a verse to you. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. Write it down. Proverbs 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. This is about how to think when things are not going so good. Now, under the point of God is a merciful God, remember these verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. We're hungry. We're thirsty. God has forsaken us. You left us here to die. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Okay, well, God just left us out of the wilderness. We just went through the ten plagues. God provided for us. We're free people. Lean not to our own understanding. Acknowledge him in all thy ways, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Verse 7. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. So when someone is in the dark, when you're in the dark, someone's in the fog, when things are blurred, remember those words. When you feel like God is not there to help you, remember Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8. They did not. So don't get extreme and let your mind go crazy. Think unreasonable things. So don't be like them. Instead, remember what the Bible says, that things are not so good. He's a merciful God. And I hope they remember that and they would eventually. Number three, you find the Messiah in the manna. Number one, in this chapter, murmuring people, murmuring multitude. Number two, thank God he's a merciful God. And number three, you find the Messiah in the manna. What? You find a picture of Jesus Christ to come in the manna that came from heaven. Now, in Psalm 105, verse number 40, it says that it is bread from heaven. The manna is bread from heaven. That alone tells you a clue about where Jesus came from. Uh, it is a preview of the, the Lord coming into the New Testament. So in 16.4, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. The first thing to think about, about the manna in Jesus Christ, is number one, Jesus came from above. In other words, he is not of the world. So when the manna came down from heaven, the emphasis is on from heaven, from heaven, from above. Where did Jesus come from? The manna is a picture, a reminder, a looking ahead to what Jesus is like and where he came from and all that he does, all that he is. The manna pictures that. So manna, manna is a picture of Jesus Christ. It is in symbol and it's in 
what we call typology. So just like the manna came down from heaven, Jesus Christ did this by himself. Here are the verses. I'll read them to you. John 6, 41. John 6, 41. Jesus is not of human origin. He's not of the earth. Not born as a regular man through a, a male seed. No. Uh, John 6, 41. The Jews then murmured at him, at Jesus, because he said, Jesus said, I am the bread, I am the bread which came down from heaven. So the manna which came down from heaven, Jesus said, I'm like that bread that came down from heaven. I'm like that bread. As the bread came down from heaven miraculously in the morning, I came down from heaven miraculously. Another verse, John 6, 51, Jesus also said this, verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Okay, that's a pretty strong word there. Just like the man that came down from him, I am the living bread. I'm not just bread. I'm not substance. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. And then in John 17, verses 14 through 23, I'll read the verses again, and I'll emphasize certain words here that Jesus spoke. John 17, 14. John 17, 14. I have given them thy word. Jesus is praying to his Father. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world. Because the words of God are not of this world. So the word of God didn't come from here on this earth. It came from above. Because they, the words of God, are not of the world, even, even as I am not of the world. What you were saying, Jesus? Okay, the words that I give to the disciples... The world hates them because the words I've given them are not from here. They're from above. Like the man that came down from above. So the word, listen, the words of God came from above. Okay? And that's a big, a big teaching exercise about how we got the Bible from God, inspiration of the scripture, and so on. But just know this for now, that the words of God from the Bible, in the Bible, did not come from just man's mind. Okay? Every man is from below, from this earth. Everyone who wrote the Bible, they're from below, they're from the earth, born of human flesh. But when God gave the words of God, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what they wrote down was not from just their own concoction over here, okay? Do you understand? I, I think you do. And so he's saying that, and then he says, as I am not of the world. What is he saying? I'm here, but I'm not from here. <laughs> I'm human, but I'm not totally human. Okay? I am not from... I'm not from Mary and Joseph. No, 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 no. I'm not from Joseph. No. I was raised in a carpet show, but I'm from another home. I'm from another place. That's what he's saying. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, verse 15, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, the disciples. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What? They are not of the world, but they are. But they're not because they're following me. Even as I am not of the world. So twice now in two verses he says, I'm not from here. I'm from there. I came from a UFO. No, I didn't. I came from a distant galaxy, sort of. Sort of. Beyond the galaxies from God's third heaven. He says, that's where I came from. So he is very clear that he is like men that came down from heaven. Sanctify them through that truth. That word is truth. And then in verse 23 it says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. From where? Where did God send him? 
by a particular cloud from heaven. So he came down from heaven to earth. He came down to a place where it was destitute. He came down to this world. So he's saying, I am not from here. I was not born here. I came from there. So he makes it very clear. Like manna. Manna is a picture of Jesus Christ where he came from. Okay? So far so good. Number two. Number two. In chapter 16 of Exodus, it says this in verse 12. At even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. What does that mean, filled with bread? You'll be full. You'll be satisfied. You've had enough. You can't eat anymore. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Uh, the second thing about the manna in Jesus Christ, that Jesus satisfies. As real as eating manna would fill their bellies until they couldn't eat anymore, Jesus Christ spiritually satisfies a hungry soul. Now you can be hungry physically and still, uh, let me put it like this, you can be filled spiritually and satisfied spiritually, but not satisfied because you've had enough to eat. You can be hungry and be filled spiritually. Okay? Now, in this case, the picture is Jesus Christ satisfies because like they ate the manna, they were filled. John 6.35 is the first one I give to you. John 6.35. Jesus saith unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Remember the woman at the well in John 4? Jesus says, drink of this water I give unto you, she never thirst again. He wasn't talking about well water, because if you drink well water, you will drink uh, water again because you get thirsty again. But he says, you drink of the water that comes from me, you will have water in you that will be bubbling like that and so on. You'll never thirst again, spiritually. So he satisfies. He satisfies. Now back in the 60s, anybody remember the 60s? 1960s, not 1860s. <laughs> the 1960s, there were songs that are still in my hard drive. In the 1960s it's stuck there it's going around like that and it, it accesses itself by triggers every time once i hear stuff uh back in the 60s there's a song called kicks written by a group or sung by a group and here are the lyrics to this and it is telling me that the world does not satisfy and as a christian you hear it from a certain viewpoint and you think certain things but the song is not written from a Christian viewpoint, but it does make a point because it sees something that people are going after and does not sound. Listen to this. I'm not there singing it to you because I cannot sing with that accent. Neither shall you be pleased if I did sing it. <laughs> Girl, you thought you found the answer on that magic carpet ride last night. But when you wake up in the morning, the world still gets you uptight. Well, there's nothing that you ain't tried to fill the emptiness inside. When you come back down, girls still ain't feeling right getting high getting high and don't it seem like kicks just keep getting hard to find and all your kicks ain't bringing you peace of mind before you find it's too late girl you better get straight no not with kicks you just need help girl well you think you're gonna find yourself a little piece of paradise but it ain't happening yet girl so you better think twice don't you see no matter what you do you never run away from you and if you keep on running you'll have to pay the price no, you don't need kicks to help you face the world each day. That road is nowhere. I'm going to help you find yourself another way. That's about a guy telling a girl, you're drugs, you're getting high, you're going to crash. Next day, you'll be by yourself again. You're not satisfied. This is the whole thing. From a Christian standpoint, we say, oh, I understand that. You're not satisfied. 
You've tried drugs, you've tried this, you've tried that, you've tried everything to make it happen, you think, but you're still unfulfilled, you're still unsatisfied. We would say, you know, you don't need kids, you need Jesus. That's what we would say, and that would be the truth. So people can try anything they want to, and they'll never be satisfied. I mean, people, it's kind of funny, they travel a lot. There's nothing wrong with traveling, but for some people, traveling is their life. They either um, travel four or five times a year to many different places. Um, met, a, met a couple that lives in Aikahi, Kailo side. They own two boats. It's, it's over in Kanye Bay. One's a Sibyl, one's another, one's a Boston, Boston whaler? A Boston, Boston something. It's something with Boston, not Boston cream pie. <laughs> it's a Boston something, and the other one's uh, whatever. But uh, anyway, they travel a lot. They like to do that, and they can. No problem, nothing wrong with that. Not criticizing them, but their life is wrapped up in traveling. They're traveling again this week. Well, they just came back from some foreign country. Now they're recuperating, they're gonna fly out again. They love to do that. They say, we enjoy traveling so much. Good for them if you can do that. But you know, if you had the ability to do that, and that was your kick, that would not satisfy your hungry soul. If your thing was shopping, oh, you know, some people like to shop as, a, as a, an outlet, uh, and, but they don't shop out the shop retail stores and they have the, the means to buy whatever they want to well good for them but that does not satisfy them their soul uh, or is it uh, gourmet food that you want is it is that what you want whatever you want that does not sell do you like the sun and the surf is that what you want you like this okay whatever you want it might not be wrong within itself but that does not bring you satisfaction in your soul only Jesus will satisfy your soul Amen. people can get everything they want get their kicks you get their highs, come back and talk about it from their trips, from the spending, from their whatever pleasures they indulge in, may not be wrong at all. Might bring them per personal temporary satisfaction, but when it's over, they need something else. They need another dose, a bigger dose. They need more, then they need more, then they need something bigger, they need more, more adventure because they're tough talking they need some kicks. We say, wait a minute, like the man satisfied the Hebrews in the wilderness, Jesus satisfied your soul. The image is so clear, it is so, it is so perfect. Never thirst again. Well, here's another thing about the manna. Uh, the manna will feed your soul, but also in chapter 16, verse 14, it was small and it was round. It was small and it was round. That talks about, um, well, the small part. The small speaks about Jesus' humility. It was, it was small. You know when Jesus was born, did anybody care except a few people? Well, the wise men cared about that. They wanted to come worship him as the king. But did anybody else care? Did anybody notice? Did they, they didn't have room for him in the, in the inn. People didn't care, didn't notice who he was. His birth was very humble. He was small, his humility. Um, angels sang his birth, but the world didn't. Wise men came, no one else came. John 19, 15 says this. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. That is to say, the world's attitude about Jesus was coming is like, ah, so what? No big deal to us. We, we're, we're in a routine here. We don't need to know about him. He's not interrupt our lives. And so he was a man was small and round, small and round, small and round, small, small, small. Speaks about his humility. There's another thing about this man that reminds us of Jesus Christ. 
uh, small and round. Round. Now, when someone gets married, when someone gets married, usually they're given a ring, yes? And we would say, as we perform the ceremony, it comes to the top of the ring, and may this circle of gold signify your in, in, in enduring and unending love for one another. That's some of the wording that is used. Round, enduring, enduring, enduring love because of the round. Round symbolizes eternity. It never ends. There's no east or no west here. It just keeps on going round and round and round. It's going on forever. Which is to say that round, the round manna speaks about Jesus Christ, where he came from, what he is, eternal. You know, Jesus Christ not created. Not created. Not created. Didn't have a beginning. Doesn't have an end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And uh, Christ has no beginning. He's eternal. Has no end. Long before you and I ever showed up, he was there. Long before we're gone, he's going to be there. Because he is really God. Has the nature of God. And he's eternal. The manna portrays that. And then here's another thing about them. Number five. Small white. White. One, two, three, four. I put them five. You never said anything about that. Nobody murmured. <laughs> white. Pure. Sinless. Now this point is really easy to understand because you remember that Jesus Christ, oh by the way, white, the color white always represents purity, wholesomeness, wholeness. The color black always represents you got black and you get black, white. So what does black always represent? Always represents, it doesn't mean something is wrong or sinful because it's black. My briefcase is black, doesn't mean that it's evil. If you wear black, doesn't mean you're evil. But what does the color black represent or symbolize? Darkness, evil, Satan, devil. What does white always symbolize? It symbolizes purity. When a woman gets married, she wears a white wedding dress, white wedding gown. Symbolizing her virtue, her um, you know her her chastity, her she's a virgin. She's she's that's what it represents. White always represents Jesus Christ in his pureness. In the Bible, it says this in Daniel seven and verse number nine: "Behold, till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, Jesus Christ, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head." like the pure wool. Well, that represents that Jesus Christ is a judge on his throne. He is pure, in pure white. He is pure, clean, holiness, righteousness. He's not bought off. He's not gonna do things wrong. He is righteous and his rule and his judgments are right because he is total righteousness. He is totally sinless. And so uh, in Hebrews 4.15, one more verse about that point, about Jesus being sinless. The color white represents that. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Imagine that. Jesus Christ as a man on earth was tempted by every imaginable temptation a man could face or a human could face. Yet the Bible says this about him, yet without sin. Only one person was white on this earth. You talk about white privilege, white privilege. What a stupid concept, white privilege. Just because you're white, you're privileged? No, maybe because you work hard. No, maybe because you, you use your skills, but no, because you put effort out, not because you're just white. 
Uh, people today are so divided by race. You know that? By these liberals and by the news media. They want to make arguments with people black against white and all these kind of things. Uh, anybody, whoever they are, if they work and be responsible and um, you know don't make excuses, they can achieve a lot of things, no matter what you are. Right? No. I never thought of Jim Perry as white privilege. I just thought Jim Perry as white man. Howie. That's all. <laughs> I never thought of uh, anybody who's black is inferior. I just thought of them as somebody who's darker than me. That's all. What's wrong with that? Nothing. So white privilege? No. White always represents purity, holiness, sinlessness. And so Jesus Christ is without sin. Tempted like any man, yet without sin. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that you have known people that were sinless? I know people have said, no, I've never sinned. I don't think they know what they're talking about. I've never sinned. They don't realize what they're saying. They're, they're categorizing sin. What they're saying is, I've never been busted by the IRS because I haven't cheated. <laughs> what they're saying is, I've never done what other people have done. That's what they're saying. So people are comparing themselves with other people. I haven't been to prison. I haven't had a grand jury against me. No, I haven't, no, I haven't done anything like that. Well, but we're talking about that. We're talking about you and God. And before God, we are all have sinned against God. And so we're all, we're all, we're not white. We're not white on the inside. We're all gray. We're all black on the inside. But only Jesus Christ can say, he was tempted in all points, like as we all were, yet without sin. Never gave in to any temptation. Well, only he can say that. So man came down to heaven. It is of heaven. It is heavenly in its origin. It's supernatural. And the liberal theologians said that Jesus Christ was not a supernatural born son of God. That he was the product of a German blonde who fathered Jesus. Where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that from? Uh, your crazy carnal mind. You don't want to believe in miracles. And so uh, God came down in the, in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And if God can't do that, then we got the wrong God. If God cannot become flesh and become our Savior, we got the wrong God that we're worshiping. If God cannot part the Red Sea, they're following the wrong God. If God cannot provide them water and men of wilderness and quail, they're following the wrong God. They got a false God that they're following. If God can provide for you, He can provide for your needs. We're following the wrong God. Let's go find the right God. Let's all of us give up this Christianity stuff and go find the right one that can do all these miraculous things. Fair enough. Uh, if somebody says, well, you Christians don't know any better, my answer would be, you're right, I don't know any better, because there's none better. Does that make sense? Amen. It makes sense. That was worth an amen right there, because it is true. And so Amazon.com can provide you a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen, and we have taken advantage of that. We bought a lot of things on Amazon, and they're so good in their system, it gets there just like they say. I don't know how they can do that. Maybe some of your smart folks know how they can do that, but it comes just like they say. Amazon provides a lot of things for you, but they can't provide for you what you really need. What you really need is peace in your heart, peace in your mind. You need forgiveness of sins. You need to have assurance of going to heaven one day. You need to have a God that guides you every day of your life, and nobody can provide it for you except Jesus Christ. Amen. So he's the right one. Amen. No app can give you directions for life. Now, apps can give you directions how to get to somewhere. Mm -hmm. Google Maps or... Uh, ways they are helpful they have a role in this life 
but they cannot give you what you really need in life. Direction for your body, for your life. You don't have that unless you have Jesus Christ as your Lord. You don't have unless you have the Word of God. You're lacking in what you need. But Jesus Christ is what we have if we're saved. And they have the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're a father right God. They should have quit murmuring and just trust in God. And they will find out through the book of Exodus. Same song, second verse. It could get better, but it gets worse. They will always continue that pattern. I learned from their pattern not to have that pattern. <laughs> I learned from their pattern to just realize that I know who the real God is. I know who my, my Lord is. And I'm going to keep following even though things seem to fall apart here and there. Oh, boy. I'll quit with this thing, this personal thing. Oh, forgive me for being personal all the time, but uh, I'm personal because I am I'm human like anybody else. And uh, sometimes I get surprised by things that cost me money. When things cost me money, I don't like it because I don't like to lose money. But uh, things cost me money. And uh, things are recurring, like they're annual or they're quarterly, they're semi-annual. Things like that always happen. And when you forget about them, you're surprised when it comes up. But when things come up that's unexpected, you're kind of surprised by that. This fall, knocking my head down, you know, well, I don't know how long that was, uh, still can get my right, you know. It's kind of like a chore to prop. I have to get toothpicks to prop this eye open. Of course, both eyes never were really open. <laughs> but I look at myself and thinking, wow, I've only got one eye closed, you know. One <laughs> says, open your eyes. I said, they are open. <laughs> but that was a surprise. And when the blood's coming on my head, I was thinking, I've got to stop the bleeding. I never thought, God, why did you do this to me? Why are you so mean to me? Am I living in sin? What's wrong? I never thought that. I just thought, stop the beating. And I thought, okay, get somewhere to get this thing fixed up. That's all I thought about. And afterwards, when I calmed down, and uh, I thought, well, I was so I was so blessed to just a mile, a mile from Kaiser, where I was doing what I was doing. And I drove myself, I drove myself home. I didn't tell the boys I had a hard time seeing. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, I'm going to drive home. She said, I'm driving myself to the hospital. Can you see? I said, yeah, I can see. I didn't quite tell her the whole truth. I mean, I could see with one eye. <laughs> <laughs> and I told her, I'm driving home. Are you okay? Yeah. Got a headache? No, no pain, which is true. But I, I, I have to, you know, work extra hard on this side to drive home carefully. <laughs> but I never did think, God, why in the world did you do this to me? I'm trying my best to live and serve you. But why did you do this to me? I never thought that. Because I consciously tried not to be like an Old Testament Hebrew. I advise you to do the same thing. Not to be like them. Flip it around. Don't lean into your own understanding. In all that ways acknowledge him. Let him guide you. Okay? I am done because I am through. I know you can't take anymore because it's 12 o'clock. And I'll tell Mike and whoever preaches in my place, say, Mike, 40 minutes. You know what Mike does? 50 minutes. That guy is so disrespectful. He does not mind the time. I tell Nathan, Nathan, if you teach Sunday school, end at quarter after. You know what he does? Ends at 25 after. It's hard to stop sometimes. But uh, I, I advise you and I, I admonish you, keep things 
in perspective in your mind and in your heart. Who is your God? What has he done for you? Do you have a little bit of faith? Trust him rather than complain. Yes, Trust him rather than murmur. Trust him rather than throw up your hands and say, oh, what's the use? Trust him instead of uh, thinking in your own thoughts, carnal thoughts. Have faith that he will see you through something because he will. He has to this point and he will again. Easier to say, but really difficult to practice, but it is true. And we learn from the Hebrew people in the Bible says New Testament, these are written for our admonition and for our learning. That's why you have these stories. That's why I love going through the Old Testament because it reminds us of what we should be like and what we should not be like. It's reminders. When we come to church, we're getting reminded again and again and again that life is rough sometimes, brother, but God is good all the time. Amen. It's not just a saying, it's a reality worked out, fleshed out in the Bible. And I get so encouraged when I look at these things and I see, oh yes, oh those people, such knuckleheads. Hey, wait a minute, can you knucklehead yourself? Stop being so critical about them, you're just the same way. You fuss, you complain, you grab about this, you grab about that. Why don't you just practice what you preach? And I say to myself, oh brother, does it come down to that? Practice what you preach, it does. All right, let's pray. Father, bless your people, strengthen them, encourage them by your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Sharon Brussels.